We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 114 of the pod coming at you early in the week. This is this is a nice little change here, Matt. I'm all I'm all change turned up. around. It's there's no right. such thing. There's no such thing as a as a Monday in sports television. Every day is Wednesday in sports television. That's a great you way. Come, to you come to learn that. Um, and quite but, every uh, day is a Wednesday with the Moose and Runes podcast because we never know when we're releasing this. Not during football. That's also true. That's also true. So let's just call it a Wednesday. Uh, regardless of when you're listening to this, thank you for tuning in. As always, it's uh, it's been this little downturn of the season that we always talk about. Well, we still got plenty to get to today, Matt. As uh, camp ramps up in the NFL, as baseball comes down the stretch, we're starting to starting to gear back up into competitive sports. Say, you you said this was a little bit of a downturn. You're right, but we're right when that calendar turns and we have that eight, you know, the eighth month of the year being August. We're we're starting to ramp right back up because you and I just before this we're talking we're already starting to plan the dates for our football shows we're getting right. there we're almost there we're coming closer and i don't think any either one of us be more excited because as much as we like to call ourselves a golf pod from, from time to time which we are we mm. are first and foremost a, a football podcast and that's where we and if anything that's our we're, kind of, we're kind of in the doldrums of the golf season here before the uh FedEx yeah, there's cup no playoffs major start, so uh, FedEx cup, and even the fedex cup doesn't have really the same build-up to it as, as you know the masters does at the u.s open or the british i'll probably put it on the same type of level as the pga but you know, we're, we're looking, we're looking. Would you, is that, is that where you kind of, is that where you kind of slot it? I think maybe, maybe prestige wise, I would agree with you, but I have more allure to the FedEx cup playoffs as a whole in totality than I do to the PGA championship. Oh no, I I think the allure is greater because the money's so big and the idea of players being eliminated every single weekend uh, on an imaginary cut line is, you know, I think that's just really but, cool stuff because guys, guys not only have to figure where they're at, at on the, the leaderboard trying to win a tournament, but where they're at on the FedEx Cup ranking board and, and what a stroke will do for them brings in a whole other element. And that's why I think it's new. It's refreshing. And, and I'm always very interested in it. Well, I, I got the, I got probably right on the same level as I do the PGA. And I, honestly, I kind of have the players on that similar level, too, just because I love that tournament so much. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. The, the excitement, it's something new. And I, I'm glad that golf did it? How, how long have they been doing that? Like six, seven years or so they introduced the FedEx Cup? Or has it been even longer? Oh, no longer. I think like really? nine, ten years. Yeah. You might be right. Okay. But I, it, it was a nice addition, but it still, for me, doesn't have the same, you know, feel to it as the majors does. I don't know why. Maybe one day that'll change. But uh, may, Tigers win a little bit in it last year kind of got me back into it a little bit more. So maybe with, with Tiger plan on playing in a lot of those tournaments as these start to roll around, uh, I'll be into it. But it's, it's just kind of right there on the same level as, you know, a PGA, a players type thing for me. Matt, we the always of people being eliminated. Just to to uh, pull back the veil here for a second, we always sit on the phone for a good 10, 15 minutes before the, the show, talk about what we want to talk about, do a Make little pre pre show rundown. We pour a little coffee. We we commiserate. We never start with what we're going to talk. We never start with what we say we're going to start with. We always delve into some other topic. So that that leads me to a question here. Let, let's sure. go down this golf rabbit hole for a questions. second here, Matt. Outside of the majors. And the TPC. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite tournament on the schedule? Waste management. Waste management. I, 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 Scottsdale is a really cool course for me, and it's just that that atmosphere. You know, six seeing players on sixteen kind of open up a little bit, become a little bit more of themselves. I, I love watching that. Yeah. Um, they, they get to have a little more fun with the crowd. The crowd gets to have more fun with them. I just I think that atmosphere is so cool. And then uh, match play. Uh, I, I love the the one match play you know tournament year the WGC. It's a lot of it, it's a, just a different type of golf. See, I'm not, it's a different yeah. type of strategy. I, I it's, it's it's a nice little change up for me on the schedule. And since it's a WGC event, it's it's one that certainly a lot of players seem like they want to win. I like I like the match play, but it's not as I don't know conducive of a viewing experience. Well, if okay. that makes any sense. Um, for me, I always default to Jack's place and Arnie's place. API and Jack's tournament, both great courses, both so much history. Um, you know Tiger's going to come out there and contend because uh, he wants to live amongst the ghosts. And um, it's, it's, always, it's always good stuff out there. Two good answers as well. Um, I, I think for, I can see what you mean about the, the match play not being all that conducive to watch. 
Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a really fun one to go and see in person. Absolutely. Point. And literally like, just, you know, find they be, this is the pairing I want to watch. Even if it's, you know, not, uh, there's probably going to be one or two marquee matches a day. If you pick like one that maybe isn't the two biggest names, the two guys. They'll watch two pairings. Just They'll watching, watch. watching yeah. a couple, like watching people for 18, just sticking around for a match. I think yeah. it'd be a lot of fun to see like how they, like how they interact with each other, how they kind of handle every shot, how they handle every whole strategy all, always. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch because it's it's a different type of golf and one that you kind of have to attack with a different strategy, obviously. And if you and if you know how to work a course, you can watch two three matches at once, man. There you let's go. Not be, uh, let's not well, be you know, crazy. you got to know how to work that course. Um, this, this is a perfect semi segue tease into uh, the Moose and Noons episode one fifteen coming your way that will drop later on this week. It is a full golf recap. We're ranking a couple courses, giving you guys a little inside information on a couple really nice tracks uh, if you want to go out and check them out or uh, uh, just take our word for it either way. But that's coming later on this week, Moose and Runes, episode 115. We promised to bring you two this week because, what, we didn't give them one last – two weeks we, ago? Two weeks like ago, and then we promised two last words. week, but then we, we, you know, we got a little bit caught up again. Uh, so we'll have two coming this week. And this is something I think that uh, it's not going to be an every week thing. It might not be an every you know month thing, especially with the winter coming up here in Chicago. I know, Joe, you don't have that in California. It must be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once once we one of us plays a course or a nice course throughout the country, we feel worthy of, you know, doing a little review on. Maybe we'll release, you know, it's not going to be a long episode, but a nice little bonus episode sometime through the week. And every once in a while, you'll get uh, you'll get two a week. Golf review guys, big golf yeah. review guys. We like that. And uh, of course, want to throw us some deals for giving them positive reviews. Who, who are we to say no? We have a ton of football to talk about, Matt, but let's uh, get the baseball out of the way here first. To the diamond we go. The Cubs, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story goes on. I don't I think get it's just it. Gonna, okay, Dave Hogan. It's just going to go down. It's going to come down to can they be the right team at the right time? Uh, and now you're dealing with Wilson Contreras on the IL for however long. I think they're mm-hmm. saying, what did they put him at 10 days? Something yeah, he was there. supposed to get the, hamstring. I'm not sure if he's had the MRI yet, but he was supposed to get it today, this morning. I'm not sure if he has it. It looked a lot worse than a strained hamstring uh, when okay. he was you know, coming off the field. And, you know, he was yeah. moved to tears, I believe, in the dugout. Not necessarily out of pain, but out of how mad he was. Um, I'm not sure. It's, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a tear by any means, but I would be a little bit surprised it was just the 10-day stint. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of Victor Caratini there. But you hit it, the the, the bipolar Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde of, of the Cubs at Wrigley versus not at Wrigley is just unbelievably wild. I I did a uh, – we, we had a graphic on one of the previous – I going to say, do you have those records in front of you? Uh, at home, it's like I think after the sweep of the Brewers, it's like 39 and 18. On the mm-hmm. road, it's something along the lines of like 21 and 40-something. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure the math's not right there, but the, it's it's – much worse on the road but if you look at all the other stats like mm-hmm. you know batting average team era you know home runs whatever they're not that different which makes this incredibly weird like it, it's not like they're hitting 300 at home and they're hitting 180 on the road they're hitting like 260 at home and like 240 on the road the era yeah. is about a run different which isn't great but it's also not like you know pitching starters eras are in the, in the sixes it's it's a really strange phenomenon that's going well, on. Well, I was going to say, so where's the rub there? What is the difference? I have no idea. I, I, I wish I could tell you. I, I don't know what the difference is. It's just it, it's different team. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, it's as lazy of analysis as that might sound. It's really it's, it's hard to explain when you look at these splits and, and you see not much of a difference. It's it's probably has something to do with, you know, being at home, being in front of your fans, knowing Wrigley probably better than anybody else. But at the same time, they seem to just get a little bit better pitching in front of them. They get a little bit better hitting. And that seems to be the formula. Um, It it really sounds like uh, a a home field advantage that's likely not in the cards. I mean, I'm I'm not looking at the standings right now, but they'd they'd have to go on a push here to uh, really set themselves up in the position they need to for the postseason. But with that said, Matt, um, it's always easy to ask the question before the deadline, what is the solution to this unknown problem? Uh, Now that we're post-deadline, what is the solution to this unknown problem? Well, I'm going to – I thought they were going to be a little bit more active or at least try to be. But I think the addition of Nick Castellanos is going to end up turning. It already has started paying some dividends. He's not lighting the world on fire, but he's I think he's picked up a hit in every game he started, maybe except for one. I'm not I'm not totally sure there, but he's also doing a lot of the little things right. 
he's making he's he's making a lot of hustle plays. He's hustling a lot of singles into doubles, and several examples like that have turned into extra runs. So I think he's been a a very nice addition into left or right or wherever they you know are going to slot him on a given day at number two in that lineup. It's also giving you major league at bats. And quite honestly, since they went out and got Castellanos and Albert Elmora hasn't been an everyday player he's started to play a little bit more like he's got something to play for and not as complacent as he's looked in the past. So I, I think creating the competition they have in that lineup is really, really good for this team. I think you've seen it across the board with all four of their outfielders. They've started to pick it up since that trade. So I, I, I really like that move for them. Um, didn't do much to, to help the bullpen out outside of, uh, I think it was David Phelps, which is mm-hmm. kind of whatever. Um, they're going to need the bullpen to figure it out. They're going to need, Craig Kimbrell to go back to being more like Craig Kimbrell, but um, I didn't think originally what they did at the deadline was enough, but now I'm starting to think it might be. We'll see. You got Hendricks, Lester, and Quintana going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Oakland A's, followed by uh, a long road stretch here. Four in Cincinnati, three in Philly, three in Pittsburgh. Uh, So you're looking at... uh, 10 games on the road from August 8th through August 15th. Going to be a, uh, excuse me, you're, through you're August talking, 18th. You're talking Cincinnati, four in Cincinnati. I don't know what it is. I know they haven't been great on the road, but mm-hmm. the last two years there, especially that place has been a house of horrors from them. It reminds me, honestly, of like what happened when the White Sox used to go to Oakland in like the early 2000s. Whatever happened, no matter how well they were playing, they would go in there and they just would not be able to find a way to win a game. So those are going to be, a huge four games, probably not only for their standings, but for their psyche a little bit, because if they can go into a place that's been such a rough stretch for them, rough patch place, whatever, and then take, you know, two of two, split it or, you know, take three or four, whatever. Uh, I think that's a huge confidence builder. Oh, whereas on the other side of the coin, if they do go into Cincinnati and lay an egg, which uh, I don't think will happen, but four games you're looking at it. Cincinnati sitting seven and a half back. You then thrust a fourth team into this NL Central race yeah. uh, if you go in there and lay an egg. But uh, uh, again, don't think that's going to be the case. Not with the pitching, not with the way that they're up and down. You at least go in there and, and take mm-hmm. a pair. But uh, when looking at the division, still a game and a half lead. Got to keep one eye on the wild card as well. Seven teams uh, in the NL wild card race, really with uh, a, a puncher's chance of yeah. uh, securing a spot in the playoffs here. We're looking at it. St. Louis, a half game uh, clear of, of the top spot, followed by Washington and the Phillies sharing the same record at 58 and 53, followed by Milwaukee, Arizona, San Francisco, New York. Those teams all within three games uh, of a wild card spot. Uh, the AL, on the other hand, uh, you know, you got uh, Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland it's, essentially it's battling for the spot. Boston, kind of, but I, I don't really see them with how bad their pitching's been just getting blown away in New York. They seem like they're not Matt, bad to me. If you if you needed to move your chips in on one team, a non division leader to make the NL wild card game. Where would you put that money? Make the NL wild card game. That's yeah. I'm gonna say one team I had to pick. I'm gonna say Washington. Um, I think okay. especially once they get Max Scherzer back healthy, with how well Strasburg's been pitching, having Patrick mm-hmm. Corbin in that rotation now too. Um, they've been playing great baseball since that just brutal, brutal start that people thought Davey Martinez might be getting fired from. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, they flipped that switch. They, they're playing some really good baseball. They didn't do a ton to help the bullpen, but I think they did enough to probably get them into a wild card game. So I think if I had to pick one, I think it's I, I like the Nationals. I think they're deep enough, ju- deep enough, just about everywhere. I like that pick as well. Uh, St. Louis has really come up and and won some ball games when they needed to. Milwaukee as well, but the Philadelphia Phillies to me are just a sleeping giant. They have so much pop in that lineup, and I've watched more Phillies baseball this year than I care to admit. My coworker, my boss, Marshall Harris, is a huge Phillies fan. Uh, worked in the market for twelve years, so we always have Phillies games on in the office, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really have, you know, power one through seven, one through eight, and uh, can go out there and score runs. Can they get a stop? Uh, can they, you know, go out there and have their pitchers one through five uh, do what they need to do? That's That still remains to be the question with the Phillies. But I think that, you know, if they catch heat at the right time, you could be looking at a Washington-Philadelphia situation. I, I... I'm still waiting for them to catch that heat, though, because as, as awesome as their lineup looks on paper, it just yeah. never seems to be clicking all at the same time this year. And mm-hmm. sometimes you you do get lucky, and that does happen down the stretch. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I think on paper they're probably the best team 
remaining or in that wild card race. I just, I don't feel if I had to pick one team, I would feel a little bit safer in the Washington Nationals. Another team that I really hope keeps pushing the envelope here is the Mets, because mm-hmm. I think that pitching staff is so fun to watch. If you could just get them, if, if they can stay hot, they're only three games out, obviously with a lot of teams ahead of them. They can stay hot, get themselves into a wild card race, a wild card game, win that, and get into a playoff series, and be coming at you with you know, Syndergaard, Degrom, Stroman, Wheeler. That's, yeah, that's a team that if they can sneak in, man, like they're not going to need to score many runs. And it's it's obvious the uh, it's obvious the impact that Stroman has when he takes the bump, but I also think he's one of those guys that has an impact on a daily basis in the clubhouse. He he's just. Seems to be fun-loving, seems to just love the game. It took a trade in stride and seems to have, you know, just assimilated to this new place quite easily. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that he does he does things for the Mets that we don't see as well. And I'm just a, I'm just a Marcus Stroman stan, so I, I don't know what you want me to say. Well, I mean, I, that's the name I've been saying on this podcast for several weeks now. I wanted the White Sox to go out and get, but that's a different yeah. story. But I, I'm with you. I love that addition for them in the clubhouse and on the mound. I mean, there's not, he's not the best pitcher in baseball, but in a big game setting, there's not many people I'd feel more comfortable with heading out to the mound than Marcus Stroman because he has that, that attitude, that mentality that you want on the mound in an ace, even though he might not have, you know, dynamic number one ace stuff and be that ace. He has that mindset, which is the, which is what you want almost arguably more important in baseball. Matt, I know there will be a reprisal of an airing of grievance, but, but that'll come later in the pod here. Do we want to talk some, do we want to talk some socks outside of grievance? That's a bit of a spoiler alert there. Yeah, we can, we can do that. Um, They took two out of three from, from, I don't want to call them your Phillies this weekend, Um, but that was interesting. They should have taken probably all three, but again, Mm -hmm. we'll get to that. Um, they, they've really struggled out of the gate here since the all-star break. Let's see their last 10. They have, they're three and seven. I want to say there's something like six and 15 since the all-star break. Uh, they're just a team that can't really put it all together right now. And also seems to be in a massive collective slump. Um, Tim Anderson finally got healthy. He's in this Philly series, really picked it up but out of the gates. His first series was the Mets and he started against DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, which is a really tough, you know, welcome back to the big leagues after a month of being hurt. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is more of the team we thought the White Sox would be. I, I'm not sure necessarily thinking it would be, it'd be this bad, but I, I think this is more accurate seeing some flashes from, you know, the guys like Tim Anderson's, like Eloy, and then just not having the roster depth behind them when they didn't really do anything. Uh, Six and office. 17. Six yeah. and 17 since the break, Matt. Um, and, you know, you make a good point there that this is more the team that we expect, but I question why, because this seems to have been the, to to varying degrees, but this seems to have been the emotional up and down of the last two or three seasons, is that we come into it with essentially low expectations. This isn't the year. We're rebuilding. Uh, We're an arm away. These young guys need time. Those sorts of things. We got to wait for uh, Kopech to get healthy. All of these different storylines, but that we've kind of guarded ourselves from uh, happiness and expectation connected to this team. Then they play a little good baseball. The second, third month of the season, we get a little excitement. Then we hit the All-Star break. We come out of the All-Star break, and they lose 20 of 30 games. What is it that – do you think it's kind of a confirmation, a a reaffirmation by the team that they don't expect anything of themselves? Or is this, again, from the top down where I I know you have an issue with Renteria, but where is this – I guess where is this peak? Why is this peak happening in the third month of the season? How can you you push that peak? I I think it's a lot of just – it's a lot of guys who had great first halves. I mean, James McCann is the one that jumps out. He had, what, 320 in the first half. He's not – He's not a bad player by any means, but he's starting to aggress a little bit more to the player that he is, which is, you know, hopefully he's hitting around 290 now, I think it is. So mm-hmm. he's much more of a, you know, 260 hitter with great defensive ability, great management of the pitching staff, which is really what the White Sox want from. But like, the White Sox had this great first half with James McCann, a career, you know, 8-9 hitter, journeyman catcher, as their mm-hmm. four hitter, and, and it worked. I mean, it, it's more, I think, some of these band-aids showed flashes in the pans. The, they're now starting to regress to who they are. And quite honestly, the front office, as we said, after this offseason, starting this year, didn't 
do enough. What's what's happening is exactly what we thought it would be. I don't think it's necessarily people, you know, or team people in the clubhouse thinking, you know, this is who we are and just kind of starting to play that way. I think it's just more they don't have the talent in that clubhouse. They're still starting Adam Engel in center field every day. They're still start, starting Yomer Sanchez at second base every day. When, you know what, there's a pretty darn good center fielder down in AAA right now who's probably ready to start and definitely a better player than Adam Engel. And same at second base. Pretty darn good second baseman in AAA right now that's, that's better than Yolmer Sanchez. But until they start calling those guys up and giving them chances, they're, we're, we're going to see this. We're going to see, you know, flashes from the young guys we want to see flashes from and then them losing frustratingly and getting blown out certain times because they just don't have the horses in the lineup or the rotation oh, at this point because they haven't built depth. What's the reason for not calling these guys up right now? You're 20 I, games back in the division. I don't know. Uh, there for yeah. me is no reason for you know Nick Madrigal maybe because he he just got called up to AAA and he's been you know in the system not quite as long as Luis Roberts. So if they want to give him you know a couple weeks with Charlotte, that's fine. There's no reason for when September rolls around for them to not Luis Roberts to be starting in center, Nick Madrigal to not be starting at second base. I get it. You know, it's the whole, we want to save these guys a year. And, you know, we, we, if we wait next year, we want to wait the 12 days or whatever it is and, and mm-hmm. save an extra year. I'm over that at this point. Nick Madrigal's yeah. 23 years old. So, you know what? I'll sacrifice that year and let him hit free agency at age 29 if he wants to get there. Or Rick Hahn, who, you know, one thing you got to give him credit for, he kind of started this whole buying out the Arbiers and extending people, you know, early on with, you know, Chris Sale and then Tim Anderson. You got two guys you might be able to do that with. Madrigal, for sure. Robert already signed that big international uh, contract, got paid a whole bunch of money that way, so he might be a little, little bit more hesitant to sign that deal. Mm-hmm. But that's the trend baseball is going to before the, before the next collective bargaining agreement. There's ways around that. And if they're serious about contending next year, which it's a division that is open. I mean, Cleveland, Minnesota I don't is not going to hit 500 home runs again next year. Cleveland's only getting a little bit older. It's a winnable division next year, and you don't want to sacrifice the first month of the season by letting Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, you know, take a year or take a month to acclimate themselves to the big leagues. Let them do that now. Call them up on August 15th. Let them play. Let them get through their growing pains in a month and a half. So next year when the season rolls around, they're ready to go, and there's no adjustment period. It's a team that could compete from day one. So we're not, again, next year maybe closer to that wild card race, but still just looking for positives from the young guys instead of, you know, hoping they're playing in big games. So uh, you are, I take it, pushing for call-ups sooner rather than There is – last year, I'm going to be honest with you, I was fine with them sitting on Eloy and waiting for – You know, I, I'm glad they did what they did and, and signed him right away so he's up opening day this year. But I understood mm-hmm. the whole waiting on Eloy thing. I do not understand waiting on these guys. If they think they're legitimately serious about competing next year and the fact that they didn't trade Bummer or Colome at the deadline, to me, tells me they, they are. The last few years, yeah. they've sold off their bullpen completely at the deadline and gotten a haul for it. They, know, they knew they could have gotten some pieces back this year. They decided not to do that because they wanted Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay at the back of their bullpen next year. That means they think they're ready to win next year. So if, you, if you're legitimately serious about ready, you know, getting ready to win, it's not you know, be ready to pony up the money in you know, six years instead of seven. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Your, your short-term or your long-term protection isn't worth the short-term experience that you could gain there. There's no certainty that these two guys you know, are signing mega deals in seven years yeah. anyways or whenever it is. You don't know. It's actually very unlikely that they are, you yeah, know, it, just on a percentage basis. With how baseball is gone, if Nick, if Nick Madrigal comes up and lights the world on fire in his first year and you turn around and offer him you know, a seven-year deal worth $100 million or whatever the hell it is, who would say no to that? Yeah. What, well, you say, what are you going to say? No, I'm going to turn. You know, wait till 30 when I hit a, when I hit free agency and roll the dice that I get at that. Then no, if, if you get that that type of a deal that's you know team friendly, but also gives the player you know uh, wealth for life. Yeah. That's a deal that's going to work on both sides. Uh, speaking of deals uh, deferring wealth, Tom Brady got paid. Let's make our way over to the to the football conversation mm-hmm. here, Matt. Uh, I believe. He is now uh, under contract for the next two seasons. They extended him two uh, two seasons, and the contract will pay so, yeah, him. I believe it's it's this year and then the next two. No, or is it, it this is year or next year through twenty twenty one. This year and next. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, essentially, twenty nineteen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and twenty twenty one. So yeah, this okay. year. Hold on, let me let me go to Sport Tech here. Yeah, do uh, that Sport Tech. Um, but I believe it Great pays rate. him. 
I believe it pays him uh, $23 million this year, if I'm not mistaken, making him the sixth highest paid quarterback, and it was a raise. So um, Brady trending, I guess, upwards. I, I, I don't know. Okay, yeah, they don't even have his new contract on Sport Track yet because it hasn't been signed. He's currently signed just through this year with a base salary of $14 million. I believe it reworks him for this year and signs him for the next two, if I'm not mistaken, through 2021. So uh, sixth highest paid quarterback in the league. It somehow gives him an $8 million raise for this season, but still clears up $5.5 million of cap space. Just another construct of the Patriots being a step ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. How, how long does Brady play for? I guess that that's kind of the layup question. Well, here. you're trying to steal my buy or sell. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I don't attention want to, to the rundown. I don't want to steal your buy I'm or not going to give so it come at it from, Come at it from a different angle. Do you think Tom Brady should be the sixth highest paid quarterback in the league if if pay is commensurate to performance? Well, no. Tom Brady should be the highest paid quarterback in the league. Okay. Um, he's still – I mean, good on him for not making him suck because he could have probably got paid whatever he wanted for the next two years because the Patriots don't seemingly have a backup plan quarterback right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I, I think it's another example of him kind of doing what he can to – be fairly compensated, but also at the same time give his team a chance to win, um, and good on him for that. But I, I'm I'm very excited to see him extended because I think it was you know a year to year thing where we were kind of wondering if he's going to retire, and I think this tells us he's obviously at least sticking around for three more years. Yeah. Um, but he, the results speak for themselves. I mean, last year you watched him play down the stretch, and he looked like the same guy he did when he was 32. Um, so yeah, he, he deserves the extension. He probably deserves to be the highest paid quarterback. If you're speaking on results alone, he's got more Super Bowls than anybody, and that's including you know the last few years as well. Uh, but yeah. I, I'm glad he's extended. I'm glad I'm glad he's back, and it's it's a trend that I like to see quarterbacks, uh, at least like him starting of trying to take a little bit less, not not a ton, but a little bit less, so you can keep some of your players around you on that team, make that roster as good as it can be. They essentially extended him to two years, but moved some of that money into this year's contract. So gave him a raise this year, and then they'll pay him 30 and 32 in 2020 and 2021. Matt, if you had to guess, how much money have the New England Patriots paid Tom Brady in his 19-year career with the team? Oh, my God. I have no idea. Um, Close to 200. Is that right? More? Less? I need you to make a guess, but you're in the right neighborhood. I'm going to say $204 million. Ooh. $212 million over 19 years. Which, uh, 12, that makes sense. When you, <laughs> when you look at it, and when you're going to look at, uh, when you extrapolate the numbers of some of these quarterbacks and what they're making right now, Pat Mahomes will have made $212 million in the first eight years of his career. Or in the first 10 years of his career, rather than 19. But inflation, where the cap has gone, those things all figure in. But at the same time, it does seem in the long term like a bargain to pay $212 million, get a quarterback, bring you six Super Bowls. Oh, 100%. Like like you said, Mahomes will have made that money by, what, his third contract in the league? Yeah. Uh, It's just, it's it's the way the cap's gone, like I said, and also just the way the position's gone and how much more emphasis – people put on the quarterback now than when Tom Brady first, you know, kind of entered the league was, was starting to get good. Like obviously quarterback has always been seen as you know, the most important position in football, but now more than ever, it seems like people are desperate for quarterbacks and will pay, you know, Kirk cousins, 90 million guaranteed to have a guy like yeah. that on their team. Also important to point out that this extension came a, a day after Tom's 42nd birthday. So, uh, Happy birthday to Tom Terrific, the greatest to ever do it. Uh, looking at a tweet right now from James Palmer, uh, covers the Pats. Uh, Tom Brady's postseason career ranks amongst QBs. Appearances, 16, first. Wins, 30, first. Super Bowl appearances, 9, first. Super Bowl wins, 6, first. Pass yards, 11,179, first. Pass TDs, 73, first. Game-winning drives, 13, first. Fourth quarter comebacks, nine first. That's all in the Super Bowl era. So he ranks first in all of those statistical categories. Pay that man his money. 
Yeah, he deserves it. Good for him. And I'm glad the league has at least, you know, three more seasons now likely. It's it's really a masterclass in, and we've talked a little bit in this podcast about the short-term versus the long-term, but it's really a masterclass in valuing the long-term. Tom has taken team-friendly deals so they can compete to go get him another weapon multiple times in the past. He's reworking his deal through this extension. It's somehow going to come to light a year from now that this move was made so they can go do another thing. There's always chess being played by the New England Patriots, not only on the field, not only as they prep for games, but also in the front office. It's a it's an applause to to the entire organization. I know we can sit here and do that all day, but uh, just goes to show how when there is a plan and, you know, and they've also deviated from their plan. Garoppolo was the plan for a while Mm -hmm. there, but uh, then you deviate when Tom continues to play. I I just think that so much can be learned from a front office standpoint, from what the Patriots have done and how they've handled Tom Brady for the last two decades. What I would give to just be able to follow that, just follow that front office around for just a couple weeks and like just be in on their decision-making, you know, uh, process and all that type of stuff. There's so much mystery surrounding how that uh, organization operates. Mm-hmm. And they are time and again, like you said, the gold standard. They seem to do everything right, make every right move when they can. And it would just be fascinating to be able to sit in and watch that. Obviously, it would never happen, but that would be fantastic. Well, hopefully, we have uh, some contract conversations to come here when Moose and Runes hits, I don't know, year, uh, year four and five uh, or six and seven, whatever it will be in in uh, concert to uh, Mitch maybe Trubisky's we'll be, contract. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe we'll be signing like a two-year, $35 million, $70 million extension. Why not? Uh, but um, uh, that would that would also be the product of some sort of success, uh, which is what we're hoping for here. The preseason kicks off this Thursday against the Carolina Panthers. Matt, uh, what are you watching? Who do you have your eye on? I mean, the easy answer is Elliot Fry and Eddie Pinheiro, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's been the, the biggest question the Bears have had since, you know, the day they – we're not going to bring up the day that that's been the biggest question since because I don't want to hurt myself again. That's one to watch. Um, another name I'm looking for out of the wide receivers group, I guess, are the two Georgia uh, you know, draft picks. I guess Javon Wims wasn't a draft pick. I think he was a mm-hmm. free agent. But Javon Wims and Riley Ridley, really excited to see both of them. Riley Ridley obviously has gotten a lot of you know uh, promotion, whatever, since they drafted him in the, in the fourth round. People are excited mm-hmm. about him. And Javon Wims seems like he's having a little bit of a breakout camp. So I'm excited to see those two types of guys go after. But after that, um, just looking for anybody to stand out because I think that's kind of the point of the preseason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely. Guys who will – just those those last 10 guys on the roster that, you know, you, you probably know you're, you're 1 through 42 right now or you're 1 through 35 right now. But uh, mm-hmm. filling out the back end of that roster happens here over the next three or four weeks. Um, with that said, I'll go completely against what I just said. And sure. I know his touches aren't going to be. I know his touches aren't going to be plentiful, but I want to see how David Montgomery hits a hole. Whether it's mm-hmm. three touches or whatever's going to happen, I'm very interested in that. Uh, my eye always goes to the offensive side of the ball, so I will also be watching Ridley because uh, dominant uh, at the previous level. Again, fourth round steal. You really got to be excited about um, what he can do in this offense. So those are the two guys offensively that I look at. And then on the defensive side of the ball, just depth in the back end, depth Mm -hmm. at safety, depth at corner. Some of these guys that they drafted um, in the seventh round and and, um, where they kind of found value or if they found value, I guess, is what we'll find out here. And and I always have my eyes on uh, the defensive backfield there because that's one place where – you know, last season, a little depth at the safety position in the playoffs might have done you some good. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that safety depth, Deion Bush is another name that I feel like I've been seeing quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of in a positive light uh, mm-hmm. from the people out of Bears camp. So if, if he could kind of develop into a, a third rotating safety, that would be huge for the Bears depth. And uh, another name here, as I'm kind of scrolling the depth chart I have in front of me, uh, might sound like a little bit of a homer pick as a Notre Dame fan, but uh, the Bears signed Alex Bars, uh, Notre Dame captain, uh, you know, I think it was a three-year starter at guard who mm-hmm. was probably on pace to be a late first-round, early second-round pick until he tore his ACL against Stanford. Um, yeah. I think he has the pedigree and played as well as, you know, guys like Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin at Notre Dame at times. And if he can get right and be healthy, I think that could be an absolute steal of, you know, an interior lineman just to add depth because you talk about depth in the defensive backfield, really depth throughout your lineup in the NFL is huge, but – Depth on that offensive line, as we've seen here, even as Bears fans. I mean, I love Kyle Long. 
Kyle Long's probably not going to play 16 games this year. It's really yeah. rare that you see, you know, the, the same offensive line play, you know, 12 games together throughout a year just because those guys get banged up. There's so much going on in between the tr- trenches. You need depth there. Alex Bars is a guy that I, I look for if he can stay healthy to be a nice value, you know, free rookie free agent sign to be some depth there along that interior line. Out of the offensive line factory that has been uh, the Notre and Dame he, playing. He's guys, right back well. with his college offensive line coach, too, with Harry Eastman. So yep. that, that, you, you never know what kind of, I don't want to say magic you can find there, but you know, sometimes you find some continuity, get a little bit more confidence there when you got a guy you know how he operates and that he actually does you know, believe in you. Matt, it's been far, far too long. Would you like to air a grievance? I would. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, Joe, did you get did get to catch much of the White Sox games over the you know it's not even just over the weekend. I want to start this with the Mets series. Um, so the White Sox got swept against the Mets at home, which is you know not great. But when you're facing Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom, Zach Wheeler, that that might happen sometimes. Things happen. Things happen. <laughs> but for me, it's more of the way. <clears throat> excuse you, that they got mm-hmm. swept. Um, mm-hmm. First game of that series against the Mets, he had Noah Syndergaard on the mound, who was absolutely dealing. He was going up against Reynaldo Lopez, who didn't have his best stuff, but he battled and had the White Sox in a position to win that game. It was the bottom of the seventh inning, I believe it was, seventh or eighth. White Sox got, it was a leadoff. They got the first two runners on second and third with nobody out. Larry Garcia tries, flips to the top of the order. You got your leadoff hitter, Larry Garcia, hitting 290. Mm-hmm. And you know what he does down 2-1 against Noah Syndergaard? With runners on second, third, nobody out, arguably the Sox' best contact hitter. He tries to lay down a bunt on the first pitch. Okay. Gotcha. He gives mm-hmm. away a strike to Noah Syndergaard. Doesn't work. He ends up losing the at-bat and striking out. Okay, fine. Second and third, one out. John Jay's up. Arguably your second best contact hitter. who's hitting 330 since re-entering the lineup. You know what he does? He tries to lay down a bunt, Joe. Another bunt. And what he does is he kind of pops one up. He flips it in between first and the pitcher. Nobody can score from home because you know why? Your guy on third, Yomer Sanchez, just got banged up, kind of hurt the hips sliding into third. Mm-hmm. So he's not really going to be able to be running at full strength. But still, let's rely on him, you know, beating out a, a close play at the plate with a bunt hip. That's fine. He doesn't go. Jay is on first, one out. And you know what happens? Jose Abreu grounds into a double play. I swear to God, I called exactly what happened. But that that's fine. A so couple, couple games later, they're in Philadelphia. Um, they're down, I think it's Saturday night. They're down two to one. Tim Anderson leads off, or leads one out, hits a double into the gap after Eloy singled. So we have runners on second and third, one out. And I forget who was up at the time. Might have been Yomer, but Ricky Renneria once again calls for a bunt. Mm. Suicide squeeze, not a safety squeeze. So, you know, you have that fleet of foot Eloy Jimenez just kind of waiting to come home. He's out at the plate because the bunt's not a great one. Sox don't score. They go on to lose the game. It's it's becoming a disturbing trend that even Steve Stone has, has started to notice a little bit. I, I told you before the podcast, he made a little bit of a, a sarcastic, you know, no one loves bunting more than Rick Renneria. And if Steve mm-hmm. Stone knows that and is commenting about it on the air, I think <laughs> other coaches, managers, clubhouses know that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming one that sacrificing out, it, it, it's not like he's just using bottom of the order guys. He's literally using his top of the order to try and safety squeeze, try and steal runs. He's giving away outs to teams. And it's, it's part of the White Sox aren't a playoff team, but there are certain examples where their manager is legitimately costing them games. And it's, it's yeah. starting to get to the point where I'm getting fed up. I literally, I was at that Sox game, uh, the, the mm-hmm. first one, the, the Syndergaard one with Matt Seeger. It was actually funny. The second I saw Larry go down for that bunt, I told him exactly what was going to happen. I word for word called <laughs> how the inning would go. And then when Abreu grounded to that double play, I just, I didn't say a word. I just got up and left. I'm not someone who yells from the stands really ever. I was pretty much screaming at Rick, Rick Renneria from at the top of my lungs from my seat. And I, I had only had like one beer. That wasn't like drunk yelling. That was me being so incredibly frustrated and fed up with his bunting that I pure, was, I, I was, it was pure. I unadulterated I anger. I snapped. So Matt, oh, I guess I would, sorry. I would follow. Now give yourself a nice exhale there. Pat sorry. yourself on the back. It was a good so I was kind of rambling there. I didn't want to have notes. I wanted that sound like it came from the heart, which I think it did. 
to tie that back into the Sox conversation we were having before about these minor indications that they're going to try and be competitive next season, Mm -hmm. does a coaching change come before they make that leap into the actual competitive space? Do I think it has to? Uh, Yes. Do I think it will? No. Um, Rick Renneria, which more power to him. The the clubhouse likes him. He's a nice manager. They they like the way they treat him, all that stuff, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But that can't be the, that can't be the only way you judge a manager. In my opinion, if he's just an average in-game manager and not costing teams games, whatever, that's fine. But the way he manages mm-hmm. the bullpen, the way he manages the lineup, no, I, I don't think he should be the manager coming back next year. Will he be? Yes, because the Jerry or- Reinsdorf run organizations don't really fire people um, unless they commit, you know, some egregious act. And even Robin Ventura, if you remember, wasn't fired. His contract was up, and they mutually agreed to part ways. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not terribly certain there's going to be a change, which is a shame because I think they have a manager who actively costs them games. And sometimes, Joe, you know it from sports too. Sometimes you need a coach that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, that maybe mm-hmm. doesn't just coddle you and is there as, you know, a, a father figure to put his arm around you. Sometimes you need a coach who pushes you, who gets mad at you, who holds you accountable. And I know sometimes Renneria pulls guys in, in games if they don't run, you know, run down to first, but that's just about it. Um, yeah. I, I think you sometimes need a manager as A, a proven winner, um, and B, someone that, you know, doesn't necessarily just coddle you when things go wrong that knows how to push players and push the right buttons because sometimes you got to get a little uncomfortable. Matt's Matt's out on the Rick Renteria train. So uh, there, I, there's one more strategy that I wanted to run by you. You're a, you played baseball in high school. You like to think you're, you know, you, you know baseball strategy decently well, right? Mm-hmm. So in the, in the, I think it was the eighth inning of the Sox Phillies games on game on Friday night. There's runners on first and third one out. What do you do with your infield lineup? How do you play the infield there? What, how how you lining up those guys? Double play depth? Yeah, right? Corners in, yeah. middle back, right? Yeah. Well, Rick Renneria decided he wanted to have the infield in, like entirely. So you had gotta, short. Got to prevent that in. run. And what we got to prevent it because, you know, God forbid, a double play with one out doesn't prevent that run. Um, <laughs> but what happened, I, again, I forget who was up. He hits a short little chopper in between second and first that had Yolmer Sanchez been playing double play depth. That's a routine double play ball. Just because we have the, the, the two middle infielders in, he can't make the play. Run scores, Sox trail late. It's just, it's, it's like, it's elementary stuff. It's not, yeah. it's not hard. Literally any person who has played baseball to any extent or watches baseball to any extent probably knows what you do with your infielder. Not Rick Renner. Yeah. You got to get that run at home. God damn it. All right, Matt. Well, now Sorry. you got to let it go. You got to let it go. We're going to jump in a bio. We're going to jump okay. in some bio cell. We're going to have some fun here. We're going to get into some I like segments. Fun. I like fun. Yeah, fun's more. I'm glad fun you than, got than that out. Man. Exercise those yeah. demons. I, they, they're exercised. Start us off. I, you I can't read us off here. Yeah, you know, you, you. I'm, I'm flustered. You read me a question. Get okay, it just froze there for a second. I don't know yeah. if you were. We're fine. Having a no, having I was a having a moment, but okay. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, but uh, the core will remain intact in Golden State. Mm. Uh, another extension, uh, this time for Draymond Green, signing a uh, four-year, was it four-year? Yeah. Four-year. Signing four a four, <coughs> excuse me, four-year, 100, <coughs> excuse me, a four-year, $100 folks, this million. this sponsorship so we can get a call. <coughs> A Ricola sponsor. Um, Four-year, $100 million contract for Draymond Green will keep him in the Bay through 2024. Clay's in the Bay through 2024. Steph's currently signed Clay's through 2022. Bay, uh, they're moving across to San Francisco next year. Draymond's jersey will someday be in the rafters. He takes the hometown discount because if he would have gone to free agency next season, Draymond would have been in line for a possible five-year, $215 million deal yeah, from the Warriors. Whatever. The Supermax, and if he would have won Defensive Player of the Year next year, he could have gotten, or first team all defense, he could have gotten a four year or five year, $240 million deal. Yeah. So, um, left a ton of money on the negotiating table, but um, when it comes to Draymond Green, I guess you can't put a price on loyalty. Buy or sell Draymond's hometown discount, Matt? Uh, good for him. I mean, I, I think you have to buy it right i mean it's great for the warriors he's still i know he turned down a lot of money but he's also made a lot of money in his career he lives in a place where it's very easy to invest that money and find out ways to be pretty successful with you know making your money work for you and mm-hmm. i mean 
hundred million dollars is nothing to scoff at there. He's still getting oh, no. a whole lot of money and he wants a chance to win it. It's very similar to, I don't, I'm not calling Draymond Green, Tom Brady because he's not uh, by any yeah. means, but it's very similar to that. He's a guy who could have gotten a lot of money, but he decided to try and help out the team, do what's better for the team to give them a chance to win. And you don't see that very often in sports nowadays. And it's nice when you see guys do. I also can't blame guys who take all the money they can get because that's a lot of money too. And you know, they, they got to work out for themselves as well. But that was, I, I got to buy it on both sides here. It, it's, it's great for both sides, and, and Draymond's still getting fairly compensated. I think I think Draymond's always been a uh, a prove you wrong type of guy, and this sets You're him up for another prove right. you wrong moment. Um, when all the KD and him stuff was going on early last season, and they were kind of uh, butting heads, there were reports that he said to KD at one point that you know we've won we won before you, and we'll win after you. And I think this is just a deal to solidify these next four years and say we're mm-hmm. going to get at least one more uh, before this thing's all said and done. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's next year. No, honestly, I, th- I think they're going off at like 15 to 1 to win the NBA championship next year. And I think that's good value. value. You better like, if you want that because they, they can hold water until Clay gets back, which is no reason why they shouldn't be able to. Clay's. Time, so. Clay's already on his own feet rehab, and he's been off crutches for a month already. When you talk about ACLs, obviously you can't make light of them, but um, it's a four or five month injury when when you have the type of rehabilitation surrounding you that these players do. They're not going to rush him back into the fold because they don't need to, but we're going to see him before the All Star break. I really and, think so. And Clay's not either a guy like Clay's, Clay's not a LeBron type player that you know relies on being explosive and then doing a whole bunch of things. Clay's a guy that relies on getting up and down the court spotting up catching and shooting which again like you said not to make light out of acl injuries but that's the type of player that you know can survive that where certain people you see come back from acl injuries never really the same player again Derek mm-hmm. rose um there's guys that you know don't need to rely on certain things like that like clay and i think yeah. they can come back and, and just be same old clay, clay doesn't dribble he no. spots up, just spot just up, yeah. Catch and shoot, catch and shoot. He wanted to stay out there with the torn ACL because he was just going to try and spot up. Which he, you know what? If he did that, he probably could have figured it out for the rest of the game. I don't. They, still, I think they might, maybe they'd be still maybe the they'd craziest at the seven. Still the craziest roar I've ever heard in a building. Um, I I remember seeing that on TV and I saw him come back it's like holy holy shit he's trying to absolutely come back. just just deafening when he came out of the tunnel to shoot that free throw because they didn't know the extent of it and he wouldn't yeah. be able to come back in if he didn't shoot the free throw. I did not know that, but good for him. Yeah. Uh, go. I'm going to go back with my next buy or sell here um, to a conversation we had. We talked a little bit about Tom Brady and obviously the the money that he's taking less money and, and his longevity. His contract runs through the 2021 season. I'm going to ask you, Joe, buy or sell. Over 0.5 more contracts for Tom Brady. So does he? Is this his last one, or you got him signing one more or two more? I'm gonna buy it, and just on a technicality, I'm gonna buy it. Now I know what you're getting at here is. I know what you're getting at here is. Does Tom Brady play beyond this contract? Does he sign a new contract? But that's not how you phrased it. Okay, you said fine. buy or sell. 0.5 contracts. They're going to rework this thing at some time in the next three years. Whether that's extending him, cutting his money and bonusing him, front-loading it to next year, however they're going to do it, mm-hmm. they're going to rework this thing. I'm buying it. Okay, so buy, buy or sell, he plays more than three more years. Sell. Okay. I think this, so you think, I think, you think 45 is it. is it for him? I think 45 is it. Um, I, I, I think I agree with you, it. but I also can't I can't 100% certainly say it because I think three years ago we were all saying, you know, this might be it. Right after that Seahawks Super Bowl, people were saying, well, he might win and retire on stage. And, you know, look at him three years and, and a Super Bowl later. He's, he's still here signing more contracts. So it'll, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be interesting to see. I hope we have as much time as we possibly can, though. I'm, uh, I'm very interested always to see, you know, how these guys transition – so whatever they're going to do next, and Tom can do whatever he wants to do next, but I want the transition to be smooth. I do not want an injury to end this man's career. And I've said it before on the podcast here, God forbid something happens to him on field where he has a year long, a five month long rehab yeah. to go through. Does he go through that and come back? And if he does, does he come back and be any sort of semblance of what he once was? I just want it to end the right way. Yeah, I think that's all you can ever hope for any athlete, let alone a legend like Tom Brady. So hopefully he gets that and gets to kind of pick his 
you choose his ending, not necessarily have it chosen for him. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you saw it. There was no way to avoid it. Avoid it. Uh, Mello was on uh, his ESPN car wash tour uh, earlier this week or last week and talked about everything from family life to on court. And of course, um, and almost regarding the Bulls comes up as it does with most star players. Uh, Mello saying that he was all but a Chicago Bull at one point and then started hearing murmurs from around the team and, and around the organization that uh, Joakim maybe wasn't going to be there. Rose maybe wasn't going to be there. Tibbs maybe wasn't going to be there. Do you mm-hmm. think that those murmurs were regarded to players and coaching? Or do you think that some of those murmurs were just generally organizational murmurs? Um, and is that another indictment of this front office? Um, I think it was, <clears throat> uh, from what I read at least, it was a lot of the, you know, that, that was the heart of the Tibbs against the front office type uh, it was that, that was the, the heart of that storyline where they were kind of at their most angry at each other so I, I think it is an indictment of the front office because you've seen situations before where coaches and players don't get along or coaches in front office don't get along coaches and players don't get along front office and whoever doesn't get along but if the talent's there they still figure out ways to get it done uh the bulls have never been able to do that and i i think once you start hearing things like that. The fact that he chose a James Dolan run New York Knicks organization Mm -hmm. over the Bulls because of these whispers he started hearing. I I don't know what he would have to lie about or why he would, you know, think what motivation he'd have to lie about that. Uh, I I, I buy it. It it sounds like he was ready to come here until he started hearing how weirdly run it was and how, I guess, controversial might not be the right word, but how much conflict there was in this organization. So yeah, I, I absolutely buy it. It's an indictment because the Bulls front office hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt. So when you hear things like this, you kind of have to believe it. Yeah. I'm with you. That's good. That's great. That's all the, ana- that's all the analysis. I yeah, have. You know, honestly, you know how usually, I feel usually I'd want you to break, I'd ask you to break it down, but anyone who's listened to you talk about the Bulls on this podcast, yeah. no, that's pretty that was much a, break that was a leading, that was a leading question. I just wanted you to tear into the Bulls front office. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I do. Uh, I've been given many leading questions throughout my childhood. So I know what those are all about. <laughs> um, Excuse me. So I'm going to keep falling apart. I'm going to keep this on the, on the gridiron ish, I guess, okay. cause we're talking about a, a gridiron, a football player. Uh, but we had our latest uh, quarterback beer chug. Over the weekend, was it? Baker yes, Mayfield uh, shotgunning the beer in Cleveland. So I a think I know your answer to this. Buy or sell, A, that was the best quarterback you know, chug we've seen. And, and a little amendment to the question. Why don't you give me a little bit of a power rankings of the quarterback chugs that we've seen so far? I'm absolutely buying that it was the best quarterback chug. I follow that with a question. What is the criteria for best? Like quickest, who I'd put my money on in a race, most entertaining, Honestly, where we are. You watch the video and I guess entertainment, but we just you you know when you see it, I feel like what which one you like watching the best, which one you think was, was the best chug. I, I think if I'm going best chug and then I got to put my, my money on a pony, still going with Tom Terrific. He's still okay. got the fastest chug. There's stories about him at Michigan being a, an absolute savage, uh, chugging, beer bong, and all of it before he got into, like, flaxseed and kale. Um, so you're still saying Baker least, has a ways to go to catch up to the legend. I'm still saying Baker needs a ring before I put him in the same conversation with the legend. Now, Baker is a great showing yesterday. I give him style points. I give him entertainment points. I give him excitement points. Mm-hmm. Did, did feel a little staged. I might, dock a, I might dock a point for, for the lack of organic uh, presentation here. But if I'm going to power rank the quarterback chugs that we've seen, I'm going to say Brady 1, Baker yeah. 2, Mitch 3, Good Stafford answer. 4, Rodgers 18. Okay. Put him at or 32, wherever. I, I just I like assume that. that everyone else can chug better than him because he didn't even finish his beer. That's a good point. That's a good point about, uh, about, about Tom, too. Or, uh, I'm sorry, Baker. That did feel a little bit stage, which is fine because those are oh, I mean, totally we're, we're totally at, this, at this point in you know, how many we've seen that it's probably going to become a more normal thing. Also, as cool as the shotgun looked, entertainment factor, it, you and I have have shotgun beers before. You don't get the full beer when you do it that quickly. He just kind of broke it with the teeth. You see a little bit. Yeah, but, but the teeth pop. The, the teeth, teeth, the pop, teeth is, pop is cool, but if we're talking straight chug, he did not get you know the full yeah. beer because yeah. you have some foam come out. You have some liquid come out. So a la, I, a la stone cold spraying the beer. Yeah, beer which right, is awesome. You know? Don't get me wrong. That's yeah. like that's it's fantastic. But there was a little bit of there was a little bit of spray. 
Matt, I got one more for you here. Uh, buy or sell again? Uh, gridiron adjacent. Uh, Pat McAfee on his uh, podcast, Pat McAfee Show, came out and was talking about just his last couple months and how much of a whirlwind it's been because he just got the deal to do Thursday night football, uh, college football. He's going to be in the booth with, uh, I believe, Hasselbeck, if I'm not mistaken. But he did allude to possibly coming back and kicking in the NFL in what he called the third largest city in the United States. Pat McAfee was asked by Bears front office, is what he's claiming, um, to come work out and and kick for them and possibly be the kicker this season. Um, Went through a stress test. His knee ballooned up. Obviously found out he couldn't do that, couldn't have the workload of a full season. But um, buy yourself a hypothetical thought of Pat McAfee being the Bears kicker this season. I'm fine with it because it just shows me that the uh, so I'll buy it. I think it just shows that the Bears were exploring all avenues, and I, I think yeah. that's what they should be doing with this kick competition. And um, they were thinking outside the box, which is when you think about what Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace do best. It's probably that um, they're mm-hmm. trying to get creative with ways to solve the problem. And obviously, Pat McAfee in the league was a punter, but he has a lot of experience as a kicker too in college. Kicked um, in college, yeah. I, I'm fine with it. I'm probably glad it didn't work out uh, because I'm not sure it would have ended very well. But at the same mm-hmm. time, good on the Bears for thinking outside the box and, and really not saying no to any possible solution, exploring every avenue they could. I would have bought it just for entertainment factor. Um, whether or not it would have worked out on field, who knows. But off field, we would have gotten at least one gem of a soundbite a week out of, out of McAfee. Yeah, having Pat McAfee in, that, in, in the Bears media market would have been, uh, would have been funny. He had some fun <laughs> with those guys. Uh, Matt, that's all I got for you. You got anything? Um, oh, yeah. I have one more by yourself for you. Uh, okay. Chance. Chance the Rapper, his new album came out. This is, you guys this are first name? Fun. Well, that's you what people call him. They call him Chance. Well, okay. What else do you want me to call I just didn't know if you guys Mis- were first name. Mr. The Rapper. Should I Mr. Call the, Mr. Rapper, the Rapper, I think. <laughs> okay, Mr. The Rapper came out with a new album. Uh, so you got a chance to listen to it. So I'm just going to re- dabble here in, in things outside of sports music-wise. Joe, mm-hmm. what did you think of Chance's new album? Are you buying it or selling it? Quite literally. You um, can buy it if you want to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not selling it. I am streaming it, but at a very small uh, percentage rate. Uh, anytime a, an artist comes out with an album that I like or that I want to listen to, I'll, I'll give the whole album a listen start to finish because that's how the art was created. Mm-hmm. You're meant to listen to it from start to finish. But while listening it from to start to finish, I'm either liking or not liking those songs, like physically, like harding yeah. those songs into my library or not. I think I put four songs off of this album. I believe it was a 22 song album. And I think mm-hmm. four songs made it in. It wasn't, um, it wasn't the first album. He's claiming this is the first album and those are tapes or whatever the other ones. But, um, coloring book was such a musical cultural Chicago phenomenon yeah. that to follow that with anything was going to be a true challenge. And he came with some songs that probably will make its way into the lexicon and, and that we'll listen to for years and years. I think Handsome's a really good one, but um, it wasn't what it wasn't what the last one was. And you're always going to be compared to your past work. This was a step backwards for Chance for me. Yeah, so I, I guess just, I'm selling it. I thought it was fine. There weren't any songs that jumped out at me like he's had in past albums. Like, wow, that's an awesome song. Like, I'm, I'm listening yeah. to that a lot. Like. They're all just fine. I don't think there's one song like, oh man, I got to change that. That's terrible. But I don't also don't think there was a song on the album when I listened through most of it saying like, oh, that's awesome. I need to listen to that all the time. So whatever. Well, it was, while, it was we're, uh, while we're on the music topic here, I will give a recommendation. Um, if you liked Chance's original, um, if you like that kind of musical sounding rap, a little bit of gospel behind it, YBN Corday, The Lost Boy is the name of the album fantastic start to finish i know i'm not breaking any news here if you know rap and stay in the loop um the rap world is going crazy about him right now um young kid debut album fantastic music i have not heard that music or heard of him but maybe i'll take a look nor had i before last week or a listen i guess i should say you jump in you jump in man um well unless you have anything else for the people here man i'm gonna i'm gonna say au revoir uh, it's been it's been another fun one here, episode oh, yeah. one fourteen of the pod. As you alluded to earlier, Matt, we will be doing our football preview here in the coming weeks. Um, the date on that has yet to be set, but you will get a college and NFL football preview coming to you. You uh, you forgot to congratulate me on my putting championship, by the way. I think that was more apropos for 
the pod later this week. We can do that. Golf too. Pod. Yeah, but this is, uh, yeah, you know? okay, that's fine. That's fine. We'll do that. We'll wait. There's a, there's a hot little tease to episode 115 coming your way later on this week. Uh, a golf recap for all our golf heads out there. We are a golf pod, so we will be doing a couple course reviews as well as patting Matt on his back Whatever. as he I'm so enjoys. Matt the champion. And uh, with that, we say goodbye. Thank you, as always, Moose and Runes listeners, for tuning into this episode 114 of the pod. As always, jump on Twitter, send us the mailbags. We want to get back into the bag, uh, especially during football season. Let's make this a, a group think project here. We'll talk to you guys soon. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>